Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd here live from the Kintech studio, flying solo on the show today. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Now joining me here on the show, he is... Uh, Sportsnet 650 Canucks color analyst, also big part of Hockey Night Punjabi. He is, of course, Randeep Janda. Randeep, what's going on, man? What's going on, Jaime? It's uh, you're never alone on this show, man. Canucks Rarely. talk. You, you've got an army behind you. Oh, oh yes, that's true. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I had to send up the bat signal to get you on once uh, once Drance was off the show today. So I appreciate you making some time here. Um, Looking at this five-game segment before the All-Star break, you know, Talkett spoke a little bit yesterday about really wanting to see how the team could maintain their focus. And, you know, there's distractions. You're looking ahead to the week off, all of those things. And he was very curious to see. Are you curious as well to see what the process and what the kind of day-in, day-out performance looks like for this team over this next stretch? Absolutely. This is a a game where you have a seven-game road trip. You come back successful and this team has shown us that they're very businesslike, right? Whether it's the the record after uh, they lead after 40 minutes, you know, they've got that element to them to say, hey, we can take care of business. Uh, we've seen it at other situations as well. They haven't lost three games in a row this year. They're the only NHL team uh, not to do that, which is really impressive. But this is another kind of checkpoint for them to say, can you avoid the road trip, road trip hangover, right? Mm. Where you come back from a road trip like this, you settle in at home, uh, it's human nature. Uh, you got a lot of responsibilities that you probably neglected for two weeks. You get a little too, you know, focused on other things, and and that kind of goes into the uh, the conversation of Rick Tockett saying, "Hey, you can't get fat and happy." It's kind of a, a similar situation where, yeah, this starting this home standoff in a proper way is going to be really important for this group. I think they have the internal barometer to understand that uh, that potential roadblock is there and they're going to try to avoid it but if you're a coach this is one of the things you're watching out for to say okay we had a great road trip but you cannot rest on your laurels this group doesn't generally but you know this is a human nature and you have to try to avoid it yeah it's interesting because as he even said right look I have a lot of confidence that they'll do it and that's one been one of the impressive things about this team is they haven't fallen into any of those traps as you said and they haven't lost more than two games in a row to do that you have to be able to kind of constantly refocus and keep up uh, that professionalism and I expect we'll see it uh, again from this team in these five games before the all-star break do you think we'll see the lotto line stay together for these five games because Rick Tockett initially pretty reluctant to commit to it you know hey it's going to be a situational thing then they were scoring all those highlight real goals uh, in the New York era and he said well now I can't take them apart or people will be furious furious at me in Vancouver you know their performance wasn't necessarily quite at that same standard towards the end of the road trip what are you expecting to see in terms of that line sticking together here in these five games. Yeah, it's a tricky decision because we could see that slowdown potentially as a factor of, hey, maybe the, the line is, is starting to dry up a little bit. They don't have the offense. The other aspect would be, uh, Jamie, that, you know, just fatigue. The yeah. rest of the team kind of suffered from that, especially in that final game against Columbus to say, you've got a bit of a reset spot here. You come back home and can you maybe find that form that they've been able to put up 30 points in six games. So even though they've slowed down, Not bad. Larger, the larger sample size shows us that if you give this chan- uh, team and this line specifically a chance to reset, they might be in a situation where they can really take the league over and, and be in a position to, to annihilate some teams, right? And that's why I would expect them for the majority of this 
a homestand to, to be um, together because you start looking at some of those matchups. And Arizona tonight is a good example where they've a hardworking team, but if that line goes against, you know, the Clayton Keller line, or depending on how the way, you know, how the matchups kind of shake out, uh, that's what you expect to see. You expect them to dominate. And Toronto as well, uh, Toronto's got some firepower. We've seen that. They've mm-hmm. also got the ability to give up goals uh, in, in bunches. They've lost, what, three straight, um, you know, multi-goal leads in, in their last few games. That's not a trend that you like, but from a home ice advantage aspect, the lotto line against their top line, yeah, I'd love to see that as a neutral, I think, from a Canucks perspective, too. So, as of right now, I expect to see that line together, but it's nice to know, if you're Rick Tockett, that you have other options. Uh, but the way that they play it on that road trip, Jamie, I, I expect them to see them together because they are that game-breaking experience, right? Mm. We've talked a lot of times this year where, hey, maybe, you know, a couple of times where this game needed a, a game-breaker from the Canucks and maybe Elise Pettersson wasn't able to to provide in one game, right? Very, very few games where he hasn't. But when this line is together, more often than not, they're absolutely taking over the game. And I expect to, to see them together for the next little bit here. You know, one of the other interesting lineup decisions or questions going on right now is with the play of Noah Juleson and how much he's improved from the, the beginning of the year. And then obviously you add Nikita Zadorov, Carson Soucy comes back. All of a sudden you have seven healthy defensemen that the coaching staff really trusts, right? And likes and, and wants to find a way to get into the game. And we saw a little bit of rotation on the road trip. You know, Zadorov was out with an injury, a day-to-day injury. One game, Ian Cole took a game out, and what Juleson was in and out of the lineup. From your perspective, is this going to be a thing for the rest of the year, right? The, the coaching staff kind of trying managing these minutes, or do you think they lock in on a, a six-preferred defenseman lineup at some point here? Yeah, it's a great question because for once in the city, you have a bit of a luxury where you have mm. an extra defenseman and you're able to rotate them in whenever you feel like maybe somebody needs a rest, maybe somebody's game has dropped off a little bit. And credit to Noah Juleson because he's made it a conversation. There was a couple of months ago, uh, I believe it was October 27th, against Philadelphia was probably one of the worst games he's had in his pro career. He rebounds from that and since then really simplified his game, focused on being a cycle breaker, stepping up into the neutral zone, being aggressive, and moving the puck quickly. Very simple plays. And that's a focus that him and Rick Tockett have made alongside the coaching staff to say, this is how, you know, you got to look in the mirror and see what you're good at. And sometimes we can look at that neg- negatively and say, hey, this guy's only capable of this much, or he's not able to lug the puck out or the puck on his stick. No, it's focusing on what you're good at and executing that down to a T. So with that, Juleson is a lot more confident. And what I like about this dynamic is, yeah, the ability to rotate him in to keep that internal competition going, right? If Ian Cole, and I know he played only, uh, what, 14 minutes and 55 seconds on in that last game, the whole team was tired, uh, didn't have a great game, but you don't want anybody too comfortable in any lineup where you're always saying, hey, the guy next to me is playing great. There's a chance he could come in the lineup. I got to make sure I'm at a high level. And, you know, it goes back to that conversation or that talking point that Rick Tockett has mentioned, fat and happy. Uh, you can be fat and happy in your role too, so just – to have an extra person in there to kind of keep pushing you and say, okay, I got to play a good game because there's three or four other guys that could potentially get more ice time or take my spot in the lineup. And that's not only to Ian Cole. I think that goes for uh, pretty much any four of the defensemen that are on the on the bottom half there. Uh, but that's a good place to be. And it does give them a little bit more flexibility to say, down the road, if this team's in a really good spot as they are now, you can rest some guys like they did Ian Cole on the road trip. 
Now, of course, one of the big talking points this week, there's been a lot of chatter, both uh, from reporters, from team personnel as well, about Elias Pettersson, where negotiations stand or don't stand between him and the team. And for all the talk, it seems like we're basically, you know, where we were a few months ago, which is he's not ready to sit down and really negotiate in earnest right now. I know his agents have kind of left the door open to negotiating at some point during the season, but... I also wonder, like, for all of our sanity, should we just kind of forget that this situation exists and check back in once the offseason begins? Because I don't know what's going to happen to prompt movement or prompt a change in the story before the offseason, Randy. Well, that's where I'm at mentally. Uh, one thing is for <laughs> sure, we know Elias Pettersson is going to get paid, right? He's going to be up there in terms of we can talk about the dollar figure, whether it's, you know, 11, 12, I, I, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, He's going to be a very well-paid young man in his mid-20s. Beyond that, uh, you know, depending on what happens with this team, uh, the reality is, outside of that, I, I would focus on the offseason because if him and his team are the ones that really want to focus on not being uh, on his attention or in the news during the regular season, then let him focus on his play. And guys, look at, you know, 108 points is what he's projected at. This is a guy that has 10 or four or, sorry, 10 four or more point games in his um, in his Canucks career, which is second only to Pavel Burr and Trevor Linden, who have 11. So the next time he has a four-point game, he's going to be in that discussion tied with those guys. That's how you know great of a player he's been in his short time here so far in Vancouver. And it's going to be whatever the situation is, whatever the cap hit is, whatever the term is, you've got a player that has made your team A alongside J.T. Miller and Quinn Hughes the number one team in the NHL. It's up there right now in terms of just being able to be a uh, one of the juggernauts uh, in the NHL, the most consistent team in the NHL. And more than anything, like this contract is going to be done whenever it's done, whether it's short term, whether it's long term, whether it you know sets the standard in the NHL, whether it falls through. Uh, you might as well enjoy Elias Pettersson on a discount mm. right now. And that's what I'm focused on where, hey, this is a chance to win. Uh, this is a chance for this team to really make some progress while he's underpaid based on what he's doing right now. Yeah, and I know uh, Jim Rutherford spoke to Patrick Johnson at the at Post Media this week and said kind of similar things. You know, it's not going to change our plans going into the trade deadline. We're focused on the fact that he's on our team right now and what he's doing on the ice. Now, there's also been a lot of reporting and a lot of speculation about what this team could do ahead of the deadline. Earlier in the show, I was saying, look, Rutherford gets it. Go for it. When you have a team this good, don't be worried about the downside. Be prudent, of course, uh, but don't be so scared to make a move that you end up letting a good opportunity pass you by. Do you agree? Do you think this is this team is good enough to just justify sending out some meaningful future assets to juice their Stanley Cup odds this year? Okay, heading into the year, I would have had a very different point of view. Where <laughs> along, you know, hey Jamie, I think I'm pretty sure I talked about uh, on your show on on Canucks Talk where it was, hey, they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot, right? Oh, yeah. This is a team that's going to be in the mix, but it's going to be a fight. We look at what they've been able to do, and it hasn't been easy, but they are number one in the league for goals for, number two goals against. This is a team that has, as I mentioned before, hasn't lost three games in a row this year. They're the model of consistency right now in the NHL, and when you have players, a really strong spine, an organization that has a franchise center, uh, has you know a top two, one-two punch in JT Miller and Elise Pettersson if, when they're playing away from each other, has the, the best line in hockey when they're playing together, and then on top of that, you got a franchise defenseman that's lighting the, the league on fire. And, oh yeah, by the way, a potential Vesna winner. I think you have to lean in. And history tells us 
with Jim Rutherford when he sees an opportunity like this. And Patrick Alvin, I would imagine, is very mm-hmm. much of the same philosophy. You don't think twice about it. This is a guy that in his cup wins in 2016, 2017, didn't think twice about making some pretty big moves, adding around, you know, whether it was defensemen, adding some players on his third line, you know, going after a Phil Kessel uh, even prior to that. There were some significant moves that they made. So all you have to look at as, you know, any anybody that watches hockey or is how often do you get a chance to be in a situation like this again? We always talk about build for the future, but as of right now, if you're this good more than halfway through the year, you have to seriously look and say, this team has done something special. They put themselves in a position where you got to add because look around the league right now. I, I don't think there's many better situations than Vancouver. And that's something of a shock. I know for a lot of hockey fans in this market, but sometimes when, when you have the opportunity, you got to strike. Uh, I know we got to let you go here in just a minute, Randeep. It is Hockey Day in Canada, in Victoria, here in BC on Jamie, the you can hold on to me for a few more minutes. Don't worry. I gotta, <laughs> okay, well, my, uh, my interview got canceled, so we're, we're good. <laughs> okay, all right, we can go all right. Along. Well, I would have planned a bunch more questions. I wouldn't go into the Hockey Day question now, but that's all right. But Hockey Day Punjabi, what's, uh, what's your guys' involvement in Hockey Day in Canada coming up here on the weekend? Yeah, so on Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon, we're going to be hosting live uh, from – the, the uh, ship point in uh, in Victoria in the inner harbor. So really excited for that. This is the first time in hockey uh, night in Canada, Punjabi history, that we're actually going to be outside of the studio. Let's go uh, for our studio portion of the show. So we're going to be out in the elements. Maybe it's snowing. Maybe it's raining. Who knows? Uh, it could be hilarious television as well, depending on what the weather brings. <laughs> but it, really excited because it takes us out of the studio. Uh, so me and uh, Takdir Tindal we're gonna are gonna be there and we're gonna you know interact with viewers. So anybody that's a uh, a fan of hockey. It uh, doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter if you don't speak Punjabi. Come on down. I'd love to uh, interact and chat some Canucks. Uh, we're going to be there. The Stanley Cup's going to be there. Uh, some guy named Kevin's going to be there. Right. Elliot Friedman, Ron McLean. You might have heard of those guys. They're going to be there. Um, just a lot going on. There's going to be an outdoor rink. There's ball hockey. Uh, you name it. It's going to be there. So come on by. Say hello. And uh, yeah, let's... Uh, I'll try to occasionally host a show in between uh, meeting people as well, which, now, which will be fun. Did it, oh, yeah. Well, you can't go anywhere without glad handling them. Everywhere I go with you, a million people are coming up. Hey, Randeep, Randeep, Randeep. I'm so excited to see That's you, because I owe them money, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure it'll be like that in Victoria as well. Now, did I see on Twitter, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, Gary Bettman is going to be joining you guys as well at some point for an interview? That's right. So uh, just take you behind the scenes a little bit. I just did an interview with ah. Gary Bettman. So you might want to watch a or social media on Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and the show this weekend because we do have an exclusive uh, conversation. I, I just had an opportunity to sit down with him a little bit. And the uh, the commissioner is always always uh, ready to talk. And you got to – we, t- we pr- talked on some pretty important topics across the league, uh, a little bit on the Olympics – a little nice. bit on expansion, a few other things. So make sure to tune in for that as well. All right. I'm excited to check it out, man. Have a great time over in Victoria. Should be a really fun day for Hockey Day in Canada. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it, man. That is Randy Janda, Sportsnet 650 Canucks color analyst, and of course a big part of Hockey Night Punjabi as well. So he'll be in Victoria hosting and, yes, meeting and shaking hands as Randeep does when he goes anywhere. A man of the people, Randeep. Uh, is so he will be over there in Victoria along with the Hockey Night Punjabi crew for Hockey Day in Canada. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And as I was just talking about with Randeep there and early in the first segment, you know, one of the big debates around the city right now is should the Canucks go all in at the deadline? And I was making my case 
building off of some quotes from Jim Rutherford in a, in a Patrick Johnson interview at Post Media where you know Rutherford says, look, you have to recognize these opportunities. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. You have to recognize these opportunities when they come. 650-650 in the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of texts coming in. This one, Bo from Burnaby. The Dustin Bufflin Jets are a great example of the risk of standing pat. That's from Bo from Burnaby. And I've talked about this example uh, or, uh, other points on this show, right? I go back to the 2017-2018 Winnipeg Jets. Of course, the go-to-the-conference finals, really, really good team. Go to the conference finals, lose to the Vegas Golden Knights, and you look at the young talent on that team, they were absolutely stacked with not just good players, but really good young players, right? Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, Patrick Laine, Mark Shifley, Josh Morrissey. You go down on the list. Jacob Truba, right? Incredible wealth of young talent, and you think, oh, man, the, like the future is so bright for this team. If you're doing your, you know, NHL future power rankings in that offseason, you have the Jets number one. No doubt about it with that amount of young talent on the team and just having gone to the conference finals. They've won one playoff series since that. Now, they have a good team, really good team again this year with some of those key players still involved, but they've gone through a lot of turmoil and a lot of ups and downs just to get back to that point, let alone growing from that point, but just to get back to that point. And again, that was a team absolutely stacked with guys 24 and under projecting to be stars, playing key roles for them already. That's not the case for this Canucks team. You would argue, you could argue that the Winnipeg Jets were in a much better situation to stand pat. Now, they did go out and make a trade. They added Paul Stastny, who was a really good player for them in that playoff run. So it's not as if they didn't do anything aggressive at the deadline. But the point is more not about how they handled the deadline, but just sometimes you look at a, a team situation and you think, oh, man, this is going to be year one of this multi-year run where they're making deep runs in the playoff every year. There's no guarantee it's going to materialize. And that's one of the risks you take if you don't strike while the iron is hot. And again, I don't think the Canucks are nearly as well positioned for the future uh, as that Winnipeg Jets team was. Rafe and Nelson texts in, okay, I agree with going for it, but there's no way I'm giving our top two prospects for any big swings for this year. That's perfectly fair. And I know LeCaramacchi and Tom Volander are off limits mentally for a lot of fans. I get that. I don't think that I would put them completely off limits. Again, it always depends. You can't just talk about the idea of trading them in a vacuum, right? You have to have the context of what would you be getting back in return. So I don't think I would put them completely off limits. I absolutely understand that you want to try to improve the team without dealing either of those two guys. But the question always becomes, okay, well, if you say, no, they're untouchable, you're basically looking at your first round pick this year, which is going to be, you know, in the mid to late 20s, potentially. Is that enough of a premium asset to really go out and land a difference maker? That's the question I would have. If you say, no, there's no way we're trading Volander or LeCaramacchi, do you still have the ammunition to go out and really take that big swing to entice a team to give you a difference maker for this year's Stan uh, Stanley Cup playoffs? Sam texts in, the team could absolutely stand pat, keep their first rounder, and win the Stanley Cup. Just look at the standings. Yeah, they could. They absolutely could. But the question about isn't, do you want it to have just a possibility to win the Stanley Cup? You can improve your odds. Yes, right now, as currently constructed, they could win the Stanley Cup. But I don't think that should be the bar. You can always improve your team. You can always get incrementally better. Somebody else texted in, why the need to make any moves at all? Perhaps the Canucks are built exactly how they should be built. Offense, D, goaltending, also solid. Leave it, run with it, be satisfied. It's the last two words that I take issue with. 
Yes, the Canucks have a very good team, but that doesn't mean you have to be satisfied. It doesn't mean you stop looking for ways to improve your Stanley Cup odds this year in the here and now. Don't be satisfied with what you have. Acknowledge how good it is. Acknowledge that they're playing really well, but don't stop trying to think of ways to improve the team and increase their chances. I'm not saying their chances don't exist. Yeah, could they win the Cup like this? Of course they could. But what I'm talking about is going out and making it even more likely, giving them an even better shot to go out and win the Stanley Cup this year. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Okay, going to do something a little bit different on the show here right now for the next few minutes. So I don't know if we've talked. I think we have talked about this on the show maybe briefly. John Shorthouse, of course, Shorty, beloved, beloved Canucks TV play-by-play announcer, a friend of the show, even though he doesn't come on the show, will not be a guest, but still a friend of the show, claims that he makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. Now, I have taken offense to that previously because, of course, in fact, the person who makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world is my mom. Shorty said, no, we got to do a bake-off. We got to do a taste test here. We got to pit these head-to-head in a battle against each other. And look, shout out to Shorty. True to his word, whipping up a batch of chocolate chip cookies on his snow day yesterday. And not just that. He's at the rink for game day today. Makes the trek. Now, it's not a long trek, but still, hey, a lot of people staying home. A lot of people aren't coming into work. A lot of people aren't even at their jobs. Shorty's making the trek from the rink to the studio to hand deliver, hand deliver a tin of chocolate chip cookies for me so I can try them, so I can see just how good they are. Shorty, not just a a great play-by-play voice, one of the best, also a true mensch. Fantastic work by by John Shorthouse. So here's what I'm going to do. Live taste test on air of Shorty's chocolate chip cookies right now here. On Canucks talk. Now I've distributed one to producer Elon as well. Basketball Ben passed. He said no. It could thank be you. a nut allergy problem. I don't want to. Okay. Don't want to die. On, Fair enough. On the job Fair enough. Right I don't want that on my conscience either. <laughs> That's a really good I gotta, excuse. I got to text Shorty. Be like, what's the uh, what's what's the recipe here? <laughs> now I will say, just looking at them and smelling them, I got to say, it looks very very similar to my mom's recipe. I'm not going to say it's identical. There's maybe a little bit more texture in these ones. But, like, if my mom handed me these, I would be like, oh, yeah, these are your normal chocolate chip cookies. So they could be working from almost identical recipes here. Yeah, pretty good size on these bad boys, too. Pretty big. (laughs) Good thickness. That's right. Great smell. I've just been sitting here with the tin for this whole segment, getting excited. All right, here we go. Elon, you ready? I'm going to take a bite. Nothing better than the sound of chewing into the microphone on live radio. I got to say, that's a good cookie. It's a very good cookie. Slightly different flavor than the ones my mom whips up, but very, very similar. Soft and chewy. Soft and chewy. crisp on the edges. I think there's some coconut in there, some coconut flakes, which is great. Also a feature of my mom's. Generous amount of chocolate chips. Generous amount of chocolate chips. That's absolutely key. So look, I got to say, Shorty is backing it up here. He's putting his money where his mouth is. This is a really good batch a really good batch of chocolate chip cookies. I'm not going to lie. Shout out to John Shorthouse. Not just a play-by-play voice, also a great baker, in addition to being a great guy. Not willing to give him the crown just yet. Not willing to do that to my mom. And so I think I'm going to I'm gonna have to talk to her. She'll whip up a batch. I'll bring it in. I'll bring it down to the rink. We'll get Shorty's opinion on it. We'll see if we can reach consensus here. But my review of John Shorthouse's chocolate chip cookies, I got to give him an A. I simply have to give him an A here. 
I'm not, not, not going to go A+, plus just yet, but this is an A for Shorty. These are an 8.9 for me. Which an 8.9? Great score. You're like the pitchfork of cookie reviewers, right down to the decimal point. <laughs> you're very, very specific on how you're going to review these cookies. Uh, so that is the John Shorthouse cookie review taste test here on Canucks Talk. And uh, I'm going to take a break and finish this cookie. Up next, Steve Peters covering the Arizona Coyotes here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. I am live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks take on the Arizona Coyotes tonight at Rogers Arena. Now joining me to talk about the Coyotes and their season, the game tonight as well. He is a Coyotes analyst for PHNX Sports. He is Steve Peters. Steve, thank you for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, before we get into, you know, some of the things with the Coyotes, specifically this season and, you know, looking a little bit at the game tonight, uh, I know you recently had a, a really interesting interview with Connor Garland. Of course, Garland coming from Arizona where he played for Rick Tockett, arrives in Vancouver, ends up playing for Rick Tockett again. What did you kind of learn about, you know, Garland and his success this year and the Canucks success this year from that interview? Well, you know, it's interesting because when Garland was here with this organization, he was still trying to find his way. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to figure out how to, how to get a full-time job in the NHL. He was a talented American League player, but he just couldn't translate that. And I think what he, he has done now is not only matured as a player, but he, he plays a 200-foot game. And, and I think that's what made him so good in Vancouver, is he not only still provides that offense. I know he's only got six goals on the season, but he can still add offense. But now he's a responsible guy that Coach Tockett can put out in virtually any situation, and you know he can defend well too. So I think he's become a much better two-way player over his maturation than he was here in Arizona when he started his career. You know, it's interesting because when Rick Tockett was hired, one of the things we heard a lot about was, of course, Oliver ekman Larson was still on the team, right? And, oh, is, is that relationship troubled from their time in Arizona? But it's kind of funny because, you know, I know Connor Garland has spoke really highly about the opportunities Rick Tockett gave him and the, and the relationship they had. And, you know, since Tockett's arrived here, we've seen him really thrive on building those relationships and kind of building that level of trust with players here. Was that on display when he was in Arizona as well? that just that ability to connect with the players you know it, rick Tockett it, it doesn't get enough credit for the way he coaches uh behind the bench his ability to connect with players that's what he wanted to do in here in arizona he really put it put that as his number one job is make a connection communicate be honest 
and be on their side. And if you, I'm sure you're familiar with him after practice in Vancouver, I'm sure he's the last guy off the ice because he was here in Arizona, a lot of one-on-one time. That's where he thrives is the one-on-one coaching. He really wants his players to succeed. The problem in Arizona is he didn't have the team that, that could play the way he wanted to play. You know, you look at the team now in Vancouver with the top end speed and talent and size. That's what he wants to coach. He wants to have a team that that's, a potential Stanley Cup playoff team. And here in Arizona, he came from Pittsburgh, where they were winning cups, and he came to Arizona. He just didn't have that same roster, but he was still that same coach. And I think people thought that, that he couldn't coach because of that, because they weren't winning. And I think he, he got a bad rap here in Arizona, because you've seen it there in, in Vancouver. He's a good hockey coach, and it's not just the communication. He's a, he's a good X's and O's guy, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the one-on-one coaching after practice because there's even instances where he's been out on a game day with the healthy scratches, right? Helping them going through, putting them through their paces uh, as they get a sweat on before they sit in the press box. And, you know, for a for, for a head coach to be doing that, that's very, very rare around the NHL. I think speaks to exactly what you're saying about Rick Tockett. Uh, from a Coyotes perspective this year, you know, big step forward in the standings in terms of the product on ice for the team compared to some recent previous seasons. What's been the key? for this improvement for the Coyotes? Well, there's a couple of things. You're finally seeing some of these younger players participating in their lineup. You know, got the draft picks. You got Cooley in the lineup. And I still think they expect more out of Cooley, but Michelli's been good. Carcone, McBain, who actually they acquired through all of the Oliver Ekman Larson trades. You get Jack McBain out of Minnesota. Um, their young players are playing well and they're being, you know, they're taking a step forward. So it's not, you're not, you don't see the Beagle, Roussel, Erickson, uh, kind of players in the lineup that they had a year ago. So I think that's part of it. But the other big piece is their goaltending. And Connor Ingram has been exceptional. And, and as much as Thatcher Demko has been elite in Vancouver, when you look across the stat line, Connor Ingram's numbers are right there. They're, they're equal to what Demko has been doing in Vancouver. So I think when he's in the net, this team has a chance to win. He's got five shutouts on the year, and he's really taken a step to show, hey, he's the number one goalie in the National Hockey League. So I think that's been the biggest one thing that you could point at is is they're much better – at keeping the puck out of their own net. Yeah, Connor Ingram has been a, a fascinating story this year. And, you know, goaltending can be so hard to predict year to d- year in the NHL. And this is a guy coming into the season, had only played 30 games in the NHL. It's been a lot of time in the A, even in the ECHL. And now, as you said, you know, his numbers are right up there with some of the best in the league. What's clicked for Connor Ingram? And as you said, is this, you know, should we expect, again, look, goaltending always fluctuates, but should we expect him to be a legit number one starter in the in the league going forward? You know, they picked him up off of waivers from the Nashville Predators. And I think Nashville saw him as the, the heir apparent to UC Soros. I think they saw him as the number two guy behind him. They just didn't have room. I really believe this is who Connor Ingram is. He is, he brings a calming feeling to the whole team. When you watch him play and he's getting a start tonight in Vancouver, he's just calm. He's not a busy goaltender. The puck just hits him. It's like it's Sunday shinny hockey. He's just calm, relaxed. He never seems like he's overextended and he just makes the saves and they just hit him. Um, I, I think that's helped the team in front of him play more relaxed and say, hey, he's got this. We don't have to worry about the back end. Let's go play the other direction. So I, I think he has been 
you know, this is what I expect to see out of Connor Ingram. I really believe he, he can be an outstanding goalie in this league. I, I definitely think he's a number one goalie. You know, it's interesting you mentioned about the confidence he gives the team. I, I find the relationship between the goaltending and the rest of the team so fascinating because you're absolutely right. If you have a guy like that back there, it can give the team so much confidence. But we also know that sometimes goalies are only as good as the environment in front of them. So, I mean, how – like how much have they been asking him to do, right? You know, Rick Tockett talks all the time about even with Thatcher Demko, they want to make sure he's not going post to post too much and making these kinds of incredible acrobatic saves. They want to keep things simple for him. Has that team defensive play been part of the story for the Coyotes as well, or or is Connor Ingram really kind of uh, doing more than his share in that regard? You know, you'd like to say it was the team defending. <laughs> I, I think this team struggles in their own end at times. And I think they give up, and it's the concern tonight against Vancouver is the Coyotes give up a lot of odd man rushes against. And that's an area they've really struggled at, and the goaltender has had to bail them out. Uh, you see way too many chances off the rush and in tight against the Coyotes. They're, they're giving up nearly you know, three goals a game. And again, Connor Ingram numbers are great, but when Vimelka's numbers are higher than they'd like to see, and this team gives up a lot of opportunities. And, and the concern against a team like Vancouver is Vancouver can score 6-7, and they have that offensive threat. They can stretch the play with their speed. They can get on the forecheck with their weight. They literally can be any way um, that there is to be a team in hockey. So the, there's a concern against the Vancouver Canucks, and, and the best player on the ice tonight for the Coyotes to have a chance in this game is going to have to be Connor Ingram. Andre Turinje, head coach for the Arizona Coyotes, now in his third season with the team, has he started to really put his stamp on this team in terms of you know the culture and the identity of how they want to play? Yeah, I think so. And it, it, culture is a funny word because I know when Rick Tockett came in and he talked about culture, and the culture was coming from Dave Tippett, who who is an exceptional coach. And Dave Tippett was changing, you know, the the Bobby Francis and Wayne Gretzky culture. So culture is a weird word because I know. Rick Tockett wanted to win here in Arizona mm-hmm. and Dave Tippett wanted to win here in Arizona. So culture is an interesting, it's, it's hard to put your hands around it, but what Andre Turini has done is similar to what Tockett does with relationships. Andre is one-on-one with all of his players and it's about building that trust a, a little different than, than what Tockett did. It, it's it, guys want to be here. Guys are happy going to the rink. Guys are feeling a part of it. He really makes individuals feel a part of the team. And I think that's why he's having success the way he has. Now, success is measured differently here in Arizona than it is in Vancouver. Right. It's not necessarily wins and losses right now. It's about improving players and developing players and moving forward. So I, I think there's a little different bar for Andre Tourney. And this is the first time he's actually being held a little more accountable to wins. The team was in a playoff spot a week ago. And I think the expectations now are this team needs to be a playoff team. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how – Andre evolves and can he coach a team into the playoffs? I don't think they're quite there yet. But he is definitely, this is an Andre Tourigny team, and they play hard for their head coach. Well, and that's a really interesting point as well, that, you know, this is a bit of a new position for the Coyotes, right? Focus on making the playoffs. Hey, you actually got to go out here and win some games. And, you know, the trade deadline now, less than a couple of months away, and the Coyotes, as you said, hanging around that playoff mix. They also have players who are UFAs or RFAs next year, who I think a lot of teams would be interested in if they were on the trade market. How do you expect the Coyotes to approach the trade deadline given the success they've had this year so far yeah this is going to be interesting for the coyotes i mean it's it's been full-on sale mode the last few years you saw stetcher and bugstead and gostas all leave last year 
there's two things. One, they're not going to go out and get a short-term rental at all. If there's a player, like they added Sean Dursey in the summer from L.A., a 24-year-old that can help them in the future, I don't think they'd be opposed to making a deal like that. But I don't think they're looking to go acquire players to really give them playoff push this season. I, I don't think this team is ready for that yet. And on the other side of it, these, the free agents that they do have, you know, they were looking at Dumba and Zucker. They aren't having the seasons that I think they were hoping for. So I'm not sure if they're, they're going to be able to get return for those assets at the trade deadline. I still think they're going to try to sell. Um, even though they're around the, 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 the playoffs right now, I just don't see them getting all into any um, trade deadline frenzy. Uh, one of the other more interesting players on the team, rookie Logan Cooley. And, you know, there was a lot of hype coming into the season. Of course, he scores that incredible goal in the preseason that got everyone's attention. You know, four goals in 42 games. Now, he does have a total of 21 points. So there's been some production there. How would you describe Logan Cooley's rookie season so far? I, it's hard. You, you, you see that goal in Australia against yeah. LA Kings. It was a highlight real goal for, for Logan Cooley. And you kind of expected him. The expectation here was he was going to battle Connor Bedard and for, for rookie of the year. And I think that's what Arizona fans were expecting. Um, he's had a good season. He, he hasn't been, he hasn't been a problem defensively. He's just been okay offensively. And every once in a while you see that glimpse of, Oh my gosh, this kid's really good. He's got speed. He's got amazing hands, but you really want to take that next step. They played Calgary on Tuesday. He gets a goal by driving the net, but he has a breakaway in the overtime. And those are moments where a player like Logan Cooley needs to score. He's got a breakaway, a chance to win a game in overtime against a team they're competing with in the playoffs. And unfortunately, he, he shoots it wide. And I think that's kind of how this season has gone for Logan Cooley. It's been a almost season like it's almost there I think he's gonna have a great career the kid's talented but but he's still he's still finding his way in the National Hockey League uh, hey, Steve, I wanted to focus on the on-ice stuff with the Coyotes because they are actually having a positive season and there's some really good stories from an on-ice perspective with that team. But I do feel it's kind of obligatory when we're talking Coyotes, what's going on with the rink? That's always such a big part of the discussion. Like, what does the future hold for this team? Where are they going to be playing? Do we know anything more than we did a few months ago? Good Lord. I tell you what, every day is a new adventure for Arizona <laughs> Coyotes fans. This is, they need a building, and, and everyone knows it. I know that the ideal situation is not playing in the 5,000-seat college rink. And, and we keep hearing morsels of, of rumors that they're moving. You know, the Tempe vote fell through. Now they're moving to Mays, to Tempe, Scottsdale, North Phoenix. Honestly, they keep saying that they're going to make an announcement in the first quarter of this year. The new site is, is just off a freeway in North phoenix right near the scottsdale border it's a good location the land is there but nothing is moving forward nothing has been announced there are no names signed on contracts or pieces of paper i i, I do believe and i know if people want to see this team moving to salt lake or uh -huh. quebec i do believe the league is going to keep the team here i think gary bettman has invested a lot of time money effort it's still a big top 10 tv market in the united states I think the team will stay here. Will the current ownership group be in place to do that? I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if something doesn't get done in the next 60 days that there will be talk of this ownership changing hands but staying in Phoenix. 
Well, I'll say this. I've learned a lot more about uh, Phoenix and Arizona municipal politics than I ever did before. Just be covering hockey and paying attention. Right, to right the... with you, Jamie. I know. <laughs> it's... And it's so sad. And hopefully what happens here is the building finally gets past them and they get into the new building right when they're on the, the verge of winning because they yeah. have some really good players. Dylan Gunther, you got Timoshev and Boot over in the KHL. Like, There's some really good stories coming. Um, and I just hope they're still here in Arizona, and I hope they have a building to play in. Uh, should be a good one tonight. It's the Canucks and the Coyotes. Steve Peters was our guest. Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate this, and enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jamie. Appreciate it. That is Steve Peters covering the Coyotes for PHNX Sports, weighing in on the on-ice, and as I said, the obligatory off-ice conversation. I do think that's a good point he makes, though, that – it's easy to look at the Phoenix situation and say it's unsalvageable. Why on earth are they still throwing this money after it? I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do think a key is ownership. If if you talk about an ownership change, because that ownership group, you know, you've seen the reporting from Katie Strang and others about how they go about their business and the instability, the relationships they've burned with municipalities and other venues. It's tough. It's tough to get behind that ownership. Could there be a market for hockey in Arizona? Yeah, I think there could be. I don't know if it's going to be for a team run by that ownership group. So if that changes, I'm a lot more open to the idea of the Coyotes sticking in Arizona. I still think a possibility is move the team and then expand back there with a clean slate at some point. I think that can make sense for the NHL as well at some point. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canuck stock here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. No Thomas Drance today. We expect to have him back on the show tomorrow. We've been having the should they go for it conversation. Should they take a swing? all day long really for a while now on the show I mean that's a big big topic it's going to be a big topic until we see a move or don't see a move and the deadline passes one way or the other Jordan from Saskatoon texts in it's taken the Canucks 13 years to get back to this elite level I think as fans we're used to living in the years of disappointment having to look to the future but now we have an elite team time to live in the now let's make a swing let's let Patrick Cook that's from Jordan from Saskatoon I do think he hits on something important, which is why so many fans are reluctant or hesitant to kind of get on board with the idea of sending out futures to improve the team. It's just been so long since the team has legitimately been in that place. And we're so used. And look, I've been here, right, where the team is making trades. And it's like, no, that's not right. You're not in that part of the cycle. Why are you giving up future assets for that player? It doesn't make any sense. But the key is that it's not inherently bad to trade prospects or to trade first-round picks, you just have to be in the right situation. And the thing that's changed is the Canucks are in the right situation to make it make sense. But I think Jordan's right. We got so used to the other end of the spectrum where the team was making these kind of short-sighted win-now moves that didn't make any sense when the team wasn't nearly good enough to justify it. Now they are good enough to justify it. I think it's taking some fans a little bit of time to kind of catch up to that reality, but embrace it. They're one of the best teams in the league, and that means you got to operate like one of the best teams in the league. That means not being afraid to go for it. Now, having said that, you know, one of the phrases we throw around, right, big game hunting. They're going to go big game hunting, which I agree with. That's absolutely what they should be doing, but you can be the best hunter in the world. If the animals aren't there, you're going to come up empty. And I do think that's an interesting wrinkle on the trade market this year from the Canucks perspective, right? Because I'm talking pretty theoretical in general. Hey, I love the philosophy of saying we've got a good team and we're willing to spend to make it even better to maximize our odds to win the Stanley Cup. 
In the abstract, I love that point of view. But then you start to get down to the kind of nitty gritty and you start to look at the actual names that are out there. And that's always when the rubber hits the road. And I do think it's useful. Uh, Chris Johnson at The Athletic published an updated trade board today uh, that you can go check out. And it's it's a useful survey. And look, there's a, there's still a lot of time between now and the deadline, although we do know that Jim Rutherford likes to do his business early often. So, you know, if a player's not available right now, maybe they become available, but we'll see if the Canucks make a move before that might happen. But it's it's useful just to look at the names on this list and, you know, who would you be, who would qualify as going big game hunting? Who are those legitimate stars or legitimate name brand high-end players that the Canucks could bring in if they decided to be really aggressive and for me the clear need is still a center a top six no doubt about it center you keep the lotto line together you bring in the new player you plug him in on the second line ideally they have some two-way value can help out on the penalty kill that's the number one fit now we can start talking about wingers and maybe defensemen as well but in my mind's eye, the best way to improve this team's Stanley Cup odds is to go out and get that center. Well, you pull up CJ's trade board at The Athletic, and you look at the true legitimate centers that are on it. Now, number one, Elias Lindholm. Love the player. I Yes, I get he's a rental, and I understand he has declined a little bit. Well, significantly. I mean, he had such a phenomenal career year that one year with Kachuk and Goudreau. Obviously, he's not that player. If you're expecting that kind of point production, you're going to be disappointed. But still a guy who's a legit high-end number two center. You slot him in as the second-line center on a contending team. That is a perfect role for him. Has defensive value, has offensive value, can help out on special teams, can play matchup minutes against other teams' good players. He can do a little bit of everything for you. That is the perfect fit for the Vancouver Canucks. He's number one on the board. That's great. Now, is the price going to be very high? Potentially. Could it be too high to make sense for the Canucks? Yeah. But you talk about his salary, which is under $5 million. So if you are able to clear, for example, Andre Kuzmenko off the books, you can go make that move. You don't have to pray for any LTIR-related shenanigans uh, necessarily in order to add Lindholm to the team. I love that fit. After that, if you're talking about adding down the middle, it starts to get thin in a hurry. Sean Monahan, number four on CJ's trade board. I don't see it. I don't think that's enough of an upgrade over what you're getting from Pew Suter, the minutes you're getting from Teddy Bluger. I don't think you're running with Sean Monahan as your second-line center going into the Stanley Cup playoffs and feeling great about it. I don't think he's that player anymore. I don't think that is the move that qualifies as being aggressive or the move that really increases your Stanley Cup odds. Not that he can't help out, but that's a fringe move. That's a tinkering move rather than we're plugging this guy in our top six and now we're going to be a juggernaut going into the playoffs. So that's number four. The only other center in the top ten on the trade board is Adam Henrique. I like Adam Henrique a lot. Again, does that is that big game hunting? I don't think so. That's a nice move. And I think if, if Lindholm was not a possibility, too expensive, you look at Henrique and he has enough value, you can talk yourself into him being your second-line center. I think he'd be an upgrade there. He does enough things well for you that you can justify going out and adding Adam Henrique. Now, the problem is, if those are the only three centers on the board, and Sean Monaghan, I don't know if he's going to excite teams that much, like how many teams are going to be looking at this and saying, Lindholm's too expensive, the only other center we're interested in is Adam Henrique, 
And then what happens to the price of Adam Henrique? It could get driven up to goofy levels in a hurry. So you do, you have to take this into consideration, right? Yes, I want to go big game hunting. I want Jim Rutherford to go big game hunting. I want them to take a swing, but the right target has to be there. If it's Lindholm and you're able to work out that deal, I love that fit, even though he's a rental. Outside of that, I don't know if there's a true big name that fits the bill. Jake Gensel, I, I don't know if he's going to end up being traded. I'd be a little bit surprised. I think he's number 10 uh, on CJ's big board or trade board here. You know, another name a little farther down the list that is interesting to me, Jordan Eberle, of course, a winger with Seattle. Now, is Seattle going to push for the playoffs? Would he be available? I could be talked into a winger. It does mean you have to break up the lotto line, right? You got to, in, in all likelihood, uh, slot somebody, either Pedersen or Miller, back at center on the second line, and maybe you try to play the winger with one of them. It, it, that's probably where it would go. So I can be talked into that. I would still prefer a center, and there's just not that many centers that really move the needle on the market. One point of note also, uh, Chris Johnson's trade board has Andre Kuzmenko at seventh on the list in terms of players likely to be moved at the deadline. And I still look at this, and if you're talking about meaningfully upgrading this forward group, you need cap space to do it. Who's the guy that has a significant cap hit that doesn't have the coach's trust? It's Andre Kuzmenko. I still think the most likely outcome here, not a guarantee, but most likely outcome is an Andre Kuzmenko trade at some point before the deadline as the team looks to upgrade in the top six. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning, keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. It is Canucks Talk. We will hear from head coach Rick Tockett after the break on a Canucks game day. Final segment of the show. Keep your text coming in. Do you see another big name target? out there on the market that you think the Canucks should take a swing at. Let me know, 650-650. Final segment of the show coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we will hear from Rick Tockett in this segment as he gets set to take on his former team, of course the team he used to coach, the Arizona Coyotes tonight at Rogers Arena. A quick cookie update i did the taste test of shorty's cookies earlier in the show very very good now i have a correction an addendum i said i thought i tasted some coconut in there shorty texted me no coconut so he wants to set the record straight for anyone out there thinking that shorty puts coconut in his chocolate chip cookies uh, he texted me he does not also my mom loyal listener said cookie challenge accepted she texted me as well so she's on board she's going she is coming for shorty's crown she's gonna get in the kitchen Make some magic, and we'll do this. Uh, so that is your cookie update. Um, before we hear from Rick Tockett, lots of people, lots of people texting in the names they're interested in, you know, kicking, you know, throwing out names there to kick around and uh, and run past me that they might want the Canucks to take a look at. And don't worry, I'm not going to step on our our planned trade ideas show, and I'm not I'm not going to submit to Drance and call it the whatever, your trade ideas are bad or whatever. I don't agree with that. 
I'm going to take them all, individually judge them. I'm not going to prejudge them as a group. Anyways, lots of people sending in names. This one, just from a philosophical point of view, is the key to me. Unsigned text says simply, it needs to be a play driver. And I think that's exactly right. And what I would say even more so is it needs to be somebody you can trust. Somebody you can put out there in almost any situation, certainly five on five, any situation. If they got, if they get out there, maybe if, even if they're not a first choice matchup guy, that you're not worried if they're out there against Nathan McKinnon or Jack Eichel, right? Somebody that you can trust that you don't have to hide in the lineup. So I see people texting in, you know, Hey, what about Vladimir Tarasenko? That's an offensive specialist to me at this point in his career, right? That's somebody who you have to hide, who you have to really, really carefully manage their usage, manage how you deploy them in the lineup. I just don't think that's what the Canucks need. So that's kind of the first and foremost question I'm asking when I'm looking at any potential trade target. And that's why I love Lindholm. That's why I like Henrique, because I think those are guys you can trust. Those are guys who can hold up in at least kind of secondary matchup minutes. Even if they don't become your first, you know, a fixture on your first choice matchup line, they're guys that you don't have to hide. You know, it's a very actually similar principle if you think about like the NBA playoffs. What's one of the worst things you can have is a guy who can be played off the floor because they go the other team goes matchup hunting and they can't handle their business on defense and maybe they're a really good offensive player but they just get constantly exposed. That's Vladimir Tarasenko at this point in his career, right? That's why when people text in about Phil Kessel, I don't pay a lot pay a lot of heed. They don't need somebody who can help out on the second power play unit, but you got to hide and try to get out there against the fourth line. They need people who can handle those tough, heavy matchup minutes against other teams' good players in the playoffs. Uh, Thomas and Blind Bay says, uh, hey, Mr. Dodd, Claude Giroux should get a long look. He's more expensive, but he won't cost the Canucks so much of the future. He has elite IQ, versatile, tons of postseason experience, still producing at a high level. Uh, he says he has trade restrictions, but he wouldn't he waive it for a shot at the cup. Why wouldn't the Canucks look at him if they want to take a swing without killing their prospects pool? That's Thomas in Blind Bay. So Giroux is a really interesting name, actually, from Thomas, because, you know, one of the things Drance has talked about a lot is Rutherford's preference for going after those name-brand established star players. Giroux is certainly that when you look at what he's accomplished in his career and the amount he's produced in his career. My question is, and I think, you know, shout out to Thomas for including that he does have a full no-move clause, so that makes it really, really difficult. Of course, he is an Ottawa guy, so how much does he want to stay in Ottawa? you got to think that's a a pretty significant factor in Giroux's decision-making. But again, it comes down for me to, is he that play driver? Is he somebody you can put on the power play or with skilled players and he's going to produce? Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel comfortable with Claude Giroux out there against top offensive players in the playoffs at this point in his career? That's my question. That would be my hesitancy, again, in this kind of blue sky world where he is available uh, and he does waive his no-move clause. That would be my concern uh, with going up against someone with uh, like Claude Giroux at this point. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Somebody says, cookie talk only, please, all the time. Enough with all this hockey. We want cookie knowledge, Jamie. Everything cookie. Maybe we'll have to do a special bonus episode or something. Cookie talk once we get Drancer back. We'll see. We'll see if the demand is there. We'll do it. Uh, All right. As mentioned, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media before his team takes on the Arizona Coyotes tonight. Even keel, very even keel, like not too high, not too low. Know what the task is at hand here. Um, 
you know, we have 10 days off after five games. <clears throat> so I think the guys realize we've got to empty the tank. Like this is, you know, we can't kind of wait, you know, wait our way through these five games, five home games. Um, you know, this is where you can separate yourself and really be, you know, set ourselves up for the stretch drive. So this is, a, this is an important five-game segment. And not, not to think of five games, but tonight's a very important game for us to, you know, coming off the road. Everybody talks about, you know, off the road, the first game back. And I think that's just a mentality that you can't have. You know, we just got to be ready to play. It's, we're playing a good, a good young team that uh, is really good through the neutral zone. This is a group that we've seen have confidence in the process from the start, but do you think there's been a little bit of a shift in that confidence, seeing the way that they can compete with tough teams in tough buildings and string together some wins? <clears throat> well, I, it, to me, on the road trip, it just shows you how important you need one through 23 on your roster. Uh, everybody in that road trip did something, whether you're a fourth-line guy, first-liner, you know, whether you're a PK guy, power play, it's, somebody did something, whether the goaltending, it wasn't just top heavy. It wasn't just four or five guys winning games. I, I mean, every game we had somebody step up the plate, and I think that's what good teams do. You talked about the first game back on home ice here after a yeah. road trip, especially after a successful one. Is that something you think this group has learned yet, or is this another learning opportunity for them to get up for this home game? Well, I know they, they say it. I don't have to say it. I mean, it's, it's, it's every says, media says, you know, it's always that first game. So it's just a mindset. There's no reason why you can't be ready to play. Um, whether you're on the road for, I, I get it, two weeks is a long time. Uh, but we had a couple of days off. It's great. It's great the guys saw their families and stuff like that. But, you know, you got to concentrate for two, three hours tonight. And then, and then you, you know, you know, then you can relax again. Yesterday's practice felt like a pretty back and forth one, lots of five on five yeah. drills and full ice things. How good was that for the group to be able to get that practice time again uh, ahead of this game tonight? Yeah, I, 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 we haven't had, I don't think we've had one in practice or something the last like 10 days. We needed that. And you need to get guys to get a good sweat after a day and a half off. Um, and I thought the focus level was really good. Um, you know, the guys really wanted to have a good practice. It wasn't that long, but we did do a lot of five-on-five five play by design. Rick, can you just run lineup tonight, Demko and goal? Yeah, Denver's a yeah. – Same six. Same, same, yeah. And same, yeah. I've got the 12 forwards. Yeah. Uh, you guys haven't lost back-to-back games since the middle of November. You haven't lost three in a row all year. You're the only team in the NHL that hasn't lost three straight. What does it mean to you that – this group has responded on the rare occasions when you've come up on the short end of the scoreboard and you haven't allowed any sort of losing streaks to seep into that room. Well, I, I have a lot of respect for that leadership group and, 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 and the other guys. Like, there's a team in general um, being able to bounce back for whatever happened the, the game before. Um, but to me, it starts in practice the next day. You know, sometimes when you lose the next day, you know, guys are moping around or, or whatever. Um, there's no moping around. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, you know, my mantra is, is, you know, earn your day. And it seems that we come the next day, okay, let's have a good practice and earn our day. I think that helps. That really does. Instead of, you know, having right the roller coaster, I think we're more even keel. Now, we're going to have some bumps and bruises coming here and some highs and lows going to hit in the next 35. We know it. It's how we handle it. And to me, handling is by the process and the staples and all that stuff. That's how you handle pressure. You know, you can't do it. One guy can't do it. One line can't do it. It's a team, and I think that's really what we've kind of every day we come in here and we preach at. And they're preaching it, too. I don't even have to say it half the time. They're, they're saying it to themselves. Phil, did you just have he got hurt in the last home game, and yeah. then you guys went out of the road, and it's sort of been out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. I know he's on LTIR. Is there any chance he's available on this homestand, or how long is long-term for, for Phil? 
Yeah, until he starts to really, you know, skate with Yogi, our, our skills coach, we got to go through that process and then through the team um, before we even, like, think of getting the lineup. So we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah. You're familiar with a lot of guys on this Arizona team, but how yeah. has the scouting report with them changed since you were the head coach? <clears throat> well, to me, is like, like to see the growth of, like, I've always, you, know, you look at a Schmoltz, you look at Clayton Keller, I mean, they're – growth, the way they play the game. I mean, they're, you know, I, I marvel at there's so many distractions in that, in, in that team, how they've played the last couple of years. I think they're, uh, you know, they're still they're in the playoff hunt. Um, and I think Clayton Keller, Schmoltz, uh, Krauser, those are the guys that have held the fort there. Um, and the guys they've acquired, you know, like uh, Bukestad, all these guys, they're all having good years. They're, they're solid players. That's why they're a dangerous team. And I think, you know, a guy like Keller, for all the distractions, he's had a hell of a couple of years. I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. And you watch him tonight, he's going he's gonna to give us fits. That's why we've got to make sure we, we, we know where he is all over the ice. What are your connections with those people still like even, even now? Well, I'm really close with the training staff and just the organization. I mean, great people there. You know, I was there for four. I played four years as coach. I was there for two, three years as a player. Um, so... For me, a lot of friends still talk to him. You know, Stan Wilson's a close friend of mine. He's a, you know, their head trainer. I've known him for years. You know, guys like that. Um, there's so many people that are the friendships today. But, you know, you, you move on. You sometimes, you know, talk as much. But to me, you know, this is a great time to see the people that, you know, you spend a lot of time with. Great place to play. Hopefully they get a building there because it's a great place to play. Hey, Rick, a couple from me. You know Garland from another movie in Arizona. We talked to him this morning. He said he probably wouldn't be in the league if it wasn't for you because you had to kind of put up with him in Arizona. And the first six games here were really tough for him because there was a misconception that he wanted a trade when the team was in a cap crunch and he just was trying to help them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, he said he owes you a lot of gratitude. What, what does it mean to hear that? Because you guys have a history, and he's not only gone through all that stuff, he's become a very effective player. For well, he, he deserves a credit. I mean, he, he, yeah, he was an all-time low at the beginning of the year. And uh, what he's done for our team, uh, the mental aspect, as obviously what he does on the ice is, uh, is a testament to him. You know, he, um, you know, he's come from, you know, a guy that was low on the totem pole in his mind to a guy that's, Probably, arguably, one of them are our best forwards all year. Like uh, driving that line, it's a hell of a line that third line, and he's dr- he's driven that line. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's really come into this year that uh, he's got whether it, he's got a chip on his shoulder, yeah. and I love when I love when Garz has a chip on his shoulder. That's when he plays his best. Quick question about the Coyotes. You know, sometimes it takes players a long time to develop. I look at Lawson Kraus, who's already got 17 goals. He's yeah. on his way to 20 at least. A big guy who's yeah. had to learn to play a big man's game. How impressed are you by that? Because it kind of looked like, is this guy a bust or is he going to be an everyday guy? Yeah, he's a guy that's really worked on his game. His uh, hockey IQ is just, it's outstanding now. You know, and I think um, he's, his, like when you're a big guy, tough guy like that can score, they're, they're tough to find, right? And he's the type of guy that he's a commodity that they have there. Yeah, uh, he scored. How I many? He scored. He scored. Mm-hmm. What did he score last year? Uh, well, she, he scored. He's a twenty-goal scorer last year, and it's not like he gets. A, you know, I assume he doesn't play a lot of power play. So you're talking about a guy that play, he's a penalty killer. But yeah, he's another guy that's really rounded his game the last couple of years. Like when you talk about top power forwards, he's up in that mix. Rick, the one thing that's uh, about your bottom six that's really noticeable is they've they've really scored a lot of goals. 
or bottom six uh, yeah. players, good hands on all those guys. Does, does that separate your team from most teams that your bottom six yeah. scores like that? Well, it really takes pressure off the big guys. But um, what I, I'm impressed, you know, like Hogg, I think, played here in nine minutes last game. And uh, New York, he plays let You know, they're a piece of the puzzle, and they know right now that's their piece right now. That doesn't mean they can't, you know, try to strive to get more time. But right now, they know that going into the game, that's their piece, and they're going to play as hard as they can. Um, you know, like I think Hoggy scored two goals was the Ranger game. I mean, we won the game because of Hoggy. You know, um, you know, uh, Almond got scored the other night a while ago, and he's been a good PK guy. You know, Laffrey scores in Buffalo to win us the game. I mean, those are the things that good teams do. You know, you always, you know, you always think of the big guys, but those guys, if they can contribute and can they play their role. You know, when they don't play for four or five minutes, you know, there's power plays, penalty kill, and then they go out. That's hard to do. So I have a lot of respect for those guys. Yeah, the other thing is their their minutes are in the 12 to 15, which, and I've noticed your top guys, all of them under 20 average. How big is that for your team that you can do that? Well, it's, it's huge. You know, like, I'm not quite sure you can win playing guys 24, 25 minutes a game forward. So... You know, when our big guys are playing that 18, 19 minute and you get, you know, you slot the the ice time, you know, everybody wants more ice time, but, you know, that means it's going to take ice time from somebody else. So if our big guys play 18, 19 and they don't complain about it at all, that's the one thing I love about those. They don't, they don't complain about more ice time or they just go out and play. It really rounds out your team and in the, in the four line type of, uh, you know, attitude that we have. Rick, what were the earliest signs that you were getting the buy-in that you require? I think at the end of last year and then this summer with the conversations, I think that was a big part of it. I, I don't think it would just snap in training camp. But I, to me, it was, it was a lot of conversations over the summer, a lot of conversations, <clears throat> a lot of checking in, uh, one-on-one meetings uh, when you could, um, and then obviously going into training camp, um, you know, my training was a little different. We did a lot of team system stuff, and a lot of guys were buying. That, that's what they wanted, too. They, they were asking me for it. I was going to do it anyways, but they were asking for it. So um, right away, that's the buy-in, is when you're asking your players to say, hey, we, need, we want system drills. We want system, system, system. So it really kind of helped me out, knowing that I was doing the right thing. Um, just uh, uh, when it comes to players who are being scratched, yeah. uh, how do you keep those players motivated um, when it has been quite a yeah. few weeks before between games. <clears throat> that's the hardest part of our job. Like, Noel Jolson, you know, he should be in. Like, and that's a hard part. You know, I, I, you know, he's he's a guy that I sh- think he should be in right now. He knows the circumstances. Um, and I told him, you don't have to like it, but uh, he's such a team guy um, that, he, you know, we got to get him in eventually. But he's a, those are the type of guys you feel that bad for because there's no reason why he shouldn't be in the lineup. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell you the reasons why, but um, other guys are playing well too. It, it could be it could be a lot of different things. So we're going to have to address that here in the next couple of games because he deserves to get in. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett again speaking at length to the media ahead of tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes at Rogers Arena, kicking off a five-game homestand. And yeah, that point at the end, and you know, I've brought it up on the show a few times, talked about it with Randeep earlier in the show. Just the luxury of having seven defensemen that you trust, that you feel really good about putting in the game, even going as far to say like, it feels bad for Noah Juleson. It's not as if Noah Juleson played his way out of the lineup, but 
he also is, you know, based on his salary and his pedigree, his NHL experience, he's the logical guy to take out uh, of the lineup. Now, it's going to be fascinating to see how they manage that, right? Especially because we know how Rick Tockett prioritizes and in an ideal world would have three right shot defensemen and three left shot defensemen in the lineup on a night to night basis. Of course, right now, if the six they're going to go with tonight, you got four lefties and two righties. And with Noah Juleson as a righty, somebody he really, really likes, is he able to establish himself as one of the top six defensemen on this team, the six first choice defensemen? And if so, at whose expense does that come? Right? Is it Ian Cole? Is it Nikita Zadorov? There's no easy guy to point at and say, well, just take him out of the lineup instead. Now, it's great to have that depth, but it also does have me wondering, as much as I'm focused on forward and I think that's their clear need, do they try to do something where they just shuffle the deck a little bit on the blue line ahead of the deadline? Maybe get that extra right-hander, maybe even send an established left-shot guy out just so you have that balance that Rick Tockett is looking for and prioritizes uh, on his blue line. I don't think that's a high priority, but you never know. It wouldn't necessarily shock me to see that either. 650, 650. Chris and Duncan says, Jamie, you are sitting there hoping talk keeps going and going, burning the last segment of your solo show. No comment. No comment on that one, Chris. But uh, what can I say? I love when Talkit chooses to uh, speak at length, as I said, over 10 minutes uh, to the media on a game day. In the Dunbar Lumber text line, I was making the point just before we heard from Rick Talkit that, you know, I really want to prioritize that two-way play-driving ability for any forward or any defenseman, frankly, that the Canucks go and add at the deadline. This text comes in unsigned. I think the only way you're going to get a solid two-way play driver is giving up a heck of a lot like LeCaramacchi or Avalander. That's a very fair point. To get quality, you got to give quality in return. And is first-round pick plus a prospect who isn't Melander or LeCaramacchi, is that enough to get you a real difference maker? I think that's a very fair question, right? Niels Hoaglander, somebody else pointed in, and I thought this was a good point. You know, if you get if you trade, let's say you trade because Menko to open up the salary cap space and you trade Hoaglander as a potential return, uh, for a player coming in, all of a sudden, the depth at forward, which has been a big part of this team's success, takes a fairly significant hit because that's two guys going out and one coming in. doesn't mean you can't do it, but you better be really, really sure that you're getting a difference maker back in that situation. And I will note that I know Rick Dollywell was reporting uh, earlier, I think earlier this week, that the team's interest in moving Niels Hoaglander, maybe not as high as it once was, in part for that reason, represent the knowledge that he represents that cheap depth uh, that you can count on this year and next year as well. Uh, somebody else was texting in here about Travis Konechny as a name, and a couple people actually, Mike included, uh, in downtown Kelowna, also Jordan from Trout Lake, both bring up the name Travis Konechny. I love, love Travis Konechny as a player. Love him as a fit. For the Canucks, he's under you know under contract at a reasonable number next year. Can play center, can play the wing. Has that two way ability, scoring ability, legit top six player. All of that. Really, really like Travis Konechny as a player and as a fit for the Canucks. I just don't know if he's going to be available. That that's the biggest question. With the success Philly is having, a little bit ahead of schedule, do they have to make a decision? Do they feel the impetus to go out and shop? Travis Konechny at this deadline, or is that a guy they can afford to wait to make a decision on, whether it's extend, whether it's sell him at next year's deadline? 
and to get them to kind of avoid making that decision and trade him, how much of a premium would you have to pay to get them to do that? I think that's the open question with Travis Konechny. If he became available for some reason, yeah, that's a name that the Canucks should be all over. I'm not sure that Travis Konechny is actually going to hit the open market. Thank you for all of the good texts. Fantastic, fantastic texts and suggestions coming in today. Talking about this team, talking about what they might do ahead of the deadline. I'm having a blast. I appreciate you guys participating and sending in your thoughts as well. Enjoy the Canucks game tonight. Before I go, JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning, keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit JanPro. Dot ca. As I said, enjoy the game tonight. I will be back tomorrow. Fingers crossed Trance is back tomorrow as well to wrap up the show on the Friday. Thanks for listening. Shout out to producer Elon and basketball Ben for holding it in. The three of us made it to the station, even if nobody else did. We were here. We were holding it down. We're back tomorrow. Keep listening uh, to Sportsnet 650.